Welcome to the Project Management Show with your host, Scotty Bud Melvin. This podcast features renowned project management professionals. They'll be sharing their insights on what it takes to achieve project success and their lessons learned along the way. Now, with another Project Management Show, here's Scotty Bud Melvin. Hello and thanks for checking out the Project Management Show. Today brought to you by the Trident Group. If you're looking for a development team that understands the project management data they're working with, visit them at tgi-us.com to learn more about the Trident Group and their solutions. And make sure you check back for more Project Management Show podcasts at projectmanagementshow.com. All right, our guest today from Tucson, his name is Mark Warner. He is the Deputy Project Manager for a $350 million project called DKIST. Hi, Mark. Hi, Scotty. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. Thank you for uh, your time. Explain uh, right off the bat here what DKIST is. Uh, DKIST stands for the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope. It is a large, multi-decade. We're on our, actually, our 15th year working on this. $350 million design-build project to construct what will be the world's largest solar telescope. Uh, We're building it physically in Hawaii on the mountain Haleakala on the island of Maui, Um, but we're building bits and pieces of it all over the world, in Europe, all over the continental U.S., in Hawaii, and all these pieces are coming together literally now. We're we're in the middle of site construction, putting up buildings and things like that on the summit, but it it will be the world's largest solar telescope. Uh, Is there a... uh check mark on a calendar date somewhere where this will officially be called the largest um yeah we actually have to get the uh the telescope assembled first before we can call it that um <laughs> somewhere around 2019 we are finished with the construction phase at that point we hand it over to operations and that's a 50-year lifetime um and i think technically at that point we are the world's largest wow that is a big project so uh, you've been around for a while your career 35 years you're a licensed professional engineer and you have a project management professional certification. And basically today we're going to be talking about project management from the engineer's perspective. So as we get into that, talk about how you first got into project management. Well, um, I started life as an engineer. And um, like a lot of engineers, I sort of got promoted and worked my way up through the system um, almost by happenstance in some cases. Um, you do some work, you prove that you can do it, so you get promoted or moved up. It's sort of the, the Peter principle at work. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you, you reach the level of your incompetency. So they say, I, I don't think I'm there yet, um, but I followed the same career path. I started out my, my career back in the early 80s at Lockheed Missiles and Space Company in Sunnyvale, and I worked on a number of uh, spacecraft uh, projects. I worked on Hubble, I worked on space stations, some SDI projects, and I was really a pure design engineer back then. Um, I started with um, doing uh, conceptual designs, um, analyses. I had a really good mentor back then, and he also really encouraged things like, well, let's take you beyond just the design engineer and Mm -hmm. teach you how to build things, teach you how to do QC, teach you how to um, flight test things and actually then fly things. Um, so I started out as an engineer, really got a very solid grounding in the, the fundamentals of engineering, did that for a few years. Uh, and then I ended up going to, I, I worked there for about four years, ended up going to Honeywell Satellite Systems after that and, and did, basically I could do the design and the engineering phase work and they recognized that. And so they needed a leader 
of a group of engineers. So I sort of moved into supervisory work and sort of picked that up on the job. And I did that for a few years. And then I ended up moving to into the astronomy world. And this is where I've been ever since, uh, since the early 90s, actually. And in each stop along the way, I've sort of picked up another skill set, kind of leading towards project management, which is where I am now. Um, my first job in astronomy, um, I was sort of a contract specialist. I was in charge of a number of large procurements for a big uh, telescope project. So I learned a lot about how do you put bid packages together and how do you um, manage those contracts once you've selected a contractor. And so I did that for a while. Um, I ended up moving from there to a much, that was a big telescope project. That was called the Gemini 8-meter telescope project. It was a $200 million affair. Mm. I did that for almost a decade. I ended up going from there to a much smaller um, project, a $7 million, much shorter duration one, but it was a more cohesive whole, more, more, more real pure project management. I was suddenly in charge of budgets and schedules and risk registers and things like that. So again, I picked up another big skill set in the project management toolkit. Never really had any formal training in any of these areas. It was more, for lack of a better word, on-the-job training or um, osmosis, I guess is another way to yeah. say it. So, um, <laughs> Seems to be a trend uh, from uh, some of the different people I talked to. They didn't start in project management. They ended up being pushed that way somehow. That's exactly right, and a lot of engineers, um, a lot of engineers end up kind of doing that. And what I, what I mentor my engineers now is sort of, you know, ten years or so into their careers, they really have to make a decision: are they going to stay subject matter experts and technical oriented, or are they going to get into the project management world? Because if they don't choose, we're going to choose for them, and that's a. Uh, it's better if they choose. Makes sense. All right, let's go back over the past few years uh, working as an engineer and in project management. If you could think of a big challenge maybe that uh, faced you or that you faced and how you handled it, maybe something big. Uh, well, we face challenges on a daily basis in this yeah. project. This, <laughs> this is a huge project, we're very distributed. But probably the biggest one, that, I mean, the one that really jumps out to me and, and the biggest one that we probably faced was um, – this was supposed to be, my current project, DKIS, was supposed to be a seven- or eight-year-long design-build project. We're currently in the 15th year of this. We've had a lot of things like permitting issues. We had to go through an environmental impact statement process that was supposed to take a year. It took four. Um, we've had legal challenges to the project. Uh, funding was delayed. Um, so it was really an extended project. Um, and. The issue is, is we actually had to start making progress regardless of these other things. We had to hire staff. Mm -hmm. We had to start uh, designing things, putting in plans for procurements, uh, all of that good stuff. Um, so we had to hire engineers. And I have a sort of a, a rule I live by, and that's hire the best engineers you can because they really are going to make or break your project. So we hired really good engineers. Um, and then we told them not to do anything. <laughs> uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't actually turn them loose and do what we've hired them to do. So keeping these engineers engaged and interested, they're, as I said, very good, very high quality, some of the best engineers I've ever worked with, they're in high demand. And if you don't keep them interested, they're going to go somewhere else. If you don't pay them well, they're going to go somewhere else. So keeping these guys involved and engaged and not leaving the project while we kept continuously saying, well, it looks like we're going to get funding six months from now, 
hang around that long? Well, six months would come and go, and we'd say, well, it looks like it's going to be another six months. Please trust us and stick around. <laughs> um, this was an issue for us, so yeah. keeping them engaged was tough. We did it, I mean, we consciously decided that the best way to keep these guys engaged was to get them as vested in the project as we were. We gave them, you know, we hired an engineer and we said, you're in charge of a work package for a widget X. Um, we want you to basically be in charge of its budget, its schedule. We want you to lay out its procurement strategy. We want you to write the statements of work and the specifications. And we literally want your name on the front cover of these things. We want you to own this thing so that you feel as vested in it as we are and you're less likely to go. So this was a huge, a, a huge thing for us, and it seemed to work. We kept most of our, our good engineers. They're still around. They're producing for us and the telescope's coming together. So this was a big deal for us. Yeah. Have you had a mentor, maybe somebody important in your past that you've learned from? Uh, yeah, actually I have. I, I'm, a, I'm a, one of those firm believers in mentors. I think everybody, all engineers and, and project managers need mentors, um, and you can really benefit from them. I, I started my career in the early 80s at Lockheed, as I said, and I had probably the best mentor you could hope for. I had a guy, his name was Lonnie Oswalt. He... Um, he basically was hiring, Lockheed was hiring a bunch of junior engineers to do um, kind of low-level design work, and I got drafted along with that. And Lonnie's philosophy was um, he didn't really want straight-A students out of school. Um, he re actually said that he didn't want them. He wanted people that were more hands-on, um, were, were, were satisfied with Bs because they were doing other things in their lives. And he was looking for people with hands-on experience, uh, people like to tinker with cars and things like that, and then and people that he could train. And so this is, this, I kind of fell into that category. He hired me, um, and he said right off the bat, I'm going to squeeze you, I'm going to get a lot of work out of you, but I'm also going to teach you a lot of lessons and a lot of things that I hope you take to heart because I've, I've learned these things the hard way. And so he served as my mentor right off the bat. And I mean, one of the, the pieces of advice that he gave me that was just, you know, career-changing, if you will, is I'd been there a couple of years. I was doing a good job for him. He told me that I, you know, I, was, uh, that I was doing a good job. Uh, but he, then he said to me, you know, a couple of years from now, I want you to leave the, leave the company. And I said, you want what? <laughs> he said, no, don't get me wrong. Um, Lockheed and our department would love to have you for ever you know, for your entire career. You're doing a great job. Um, but for your own personal development, the best thing for you is to leave. If you stay with Lockheed, you're sort of on this escalator, if you will, of your career path. You're going to be getting these incremental increases in your pay. You're going to be getting incremental promotions. You're going to be stuck in on this escalator in Lockheed. Whereas if you stick around for a couple of years and then go somewhere else to another company for a few years, and then perhaps another one, and then find a home and, and burrow in then. Instead of on the, an escalator ride, you're going to take an elevator between your career stops. Your pay is going to increase more quantum, more of a step function. You're going to see more things. Um, you're going to get bigger promotions, and it's better for you as an individual to do this. Maybe at the end of this, you're going to come back and, and end up here at Lockheed with us, which is great, but for you, the best thing to do is to take some elevator rides and not stay on the escalator in the early parts of your career. 
And I really took that to heart, and I did that, and it's made all the difference for me career-wise. And I actually teach my youngest engineers that same thing. Look, you're great. We want to keep you. But from your own professional and personal development point of view, maybe it's best if you don't plan on sticking around with us forever. What was Lonnie's last name? Oswald. Okay. Great advice. It was, and it's paid off for me. I did that early. I went... Uh, from Lockheed to Honeywell to within the Aura uh, umbrella, the Association of Universities for Astronomy, uh, Research and Astronomy. And within Aura, I've worked on these other telescope projects, but it's really made a difference in my career. Um, I, I don't think I would be where I'm at, either position-wise, pay-wise, or more importantly, experience-wise, um, if I had just stuck around with the, the first first company that hired me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's talk trends. Uh, you see any emerging trends coming in the way of pro- the way projects are managed? Um, yes and no. I think yeah. that um, I think that project management hasn't really changed very much fundamentally in a long time. I was um, talking to a friend of mine. I picked up a, a book recently, which is the it's literally called the Unwritten um, Laws of Engineering. It was written in the '40s, 70 year old book. It's really a project management handbook, even though it's, the title is engineering. And it's the problems they faced back then and the methods that they, that they use, kind of the big picture methods, are exactly what we're facing today. It's scope creep, it's uh, budget and schedule, it's um, quality control, it's change management. All of that stuff has pretty much stayed the same. What's different, I think, is that the tools are, are clearly different now. It's, we live in the world of the Internet and, and web-based tools and things like that. But fundamentally, project management hasn't changed. Um, there is a, a trend now, a buzzword you hear a lot, called agile project management, which is sort of a this – is, this is a bad technical description of it, but it's sort of a series of mini-projects put together, developmental projects. But if you really burrow down and look at agile um, – at its core, it's really no different, in a sense, than a big, big project scaled down to a small. So, uh, there is some there's there's people always trying to improve the the process and science of project management, but mm-hmm. fundamentally, it's it hasn't changed in a long time. It's it's primarily the tools that have changed. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to tools a little bit later. By the way, uh, we're here with Mark Warner. He is the uh, deputy project manager for uh, DKIST, and I want to kind of go back a little bit and maybe see if you can think of the most difficult decision you've made in the last couple of years and how you came to that decision. Yeah, this, this is actually an easy one for me to answer. Uh, good. Um, uh, it's it's based in a tragedy, actually. Um, a few years ago, our project manager on DKIST um, died suddenly, uh, very unexpectedly mm. died. And um, I was effectively the acting deputy project manager at the time. And it would have been extremely easy for me to, to apply for and then take over that position full-time. What we re- Given the political climate at the time, our funding was still somewhat nebulous. There were still some political things going on with the permitting. Um, it really made a lot more sense for our project to bring in an outside, um, big-name kind of project manager to take the reins at the you know, sort of you know, the highest level and bring in um, that external experience, if you will, to the project. Mm-hmm. And I was encouraged to apply um, for the, the project manager position. A number of friends counseled me to do it, but I, after a lot of soul-searching, it was clear to me that 
my role really was to take over on an interim basis and find that external guy uh, more for the it was better for the project than it was for me um, it's that kind of that old quote that in order to be successful don't try to be a man of success and try instead try to be a man of value and that's what I was I was really thinking at that time what is the most value for the project here the most value for the project is for me to stay I'll take the I'll take the reins in a temporary fashion as an interim project manager, and get us through this hard part. But I think I'm better suited overall for the project to step down into an XO kind of position. And that was a tough decision. I yeah. spent a lot of time, you know, from a personal point of view and in my own career point of view, it would have opened up some external some more doors for me on my next job wherever that may lead. But it wasn't right for this project, and I am truly vested in our project. I've been with this this thing now for 15 years I really want it to see to succeed and the best thing for us was really for me to pass up that opportunity and to bring someone else in let's segue right into this then let's get philosophical why do you think projects succeed or fail uh, okay that's a that's a tough question uh-huh. there, there are you know dozens of reasons why a project can fail um, it, you know, all of the classic things like scope creep or ill-defined quality requirements or poor traceability requirements, stakeholders are, are your, your best friends or your biggest enemies. I think, though, fundamentally, probably the most important thing is the quality of the people you hire and how they work together. Your, your team is everything. They're going to make or break you. Uh, you're not going to do the, the actual work as a project manager. Uh, you're going to have engineers and scientists and technicians and support staff do the actual work of producing whatever it is that your project's putting together. Those people, the best people you can hire, treat them right. That's really the key. Mm-hmm. Without that, you, cannot, you almost certainly can't succeed as a, as a project. Let's talk about qualities for a good leader and a good project manager. What do you think? Um, that's a good question, too. I can speak from my own personal um, point of view, and I think that one of the things that I think I'm a good leader, and I think that one of the reasons for that is I came up through the ranks. I came up as an engineer. I understand what the engineers, how they think, um, what's important to them, what they care about. I think that makes a big difference, or a big, uh, a big um, that matters a lot to the engineering staff, the people that you're trying to lead, that you are effectively one of them. You can you. You're talking to talk, but you have walked the walk in the past, and I think mm-hmm. that matters. I think it matters to them fundamentally. If, if you bring in a, somebody who doesn't have that technical background, it's a harder sell. It can, it can be done, certainly, but it's a harder sell to these engineers to, to buy into that. Um, so I think that matters. I think that it also matters to have good listening skills. Um, I have a very wide-ranging group of, of people that work for me, some of whom need a lot of face time, uh, need the daily call with the boss, with, with the attaboys and that kind of thing, and have other, other engineers that work for me that just sort of want to be left alone and do their own thing and report in on a weekly or biweekly basis and only come to me if they have problems. And I think that being a good leader is part of that is recognizing what, what these characteristics of these, these individuals are and not trying to force them to do something different. It's, it's kind of a... Uh, very similar to playing to people's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, it's, it's well. In fact, that's another thing is is identifying those strengths and weaknesses of yeah. your your employees. What are they good at? Well, let them do that. You know, tailor jobs and, and work 
so that they can focus on those things that they're good at and that they like to do and don't force them to do things they don't like to do or are really bad at um, because they're going to leave. They're not going to stick around. So I think recognizing these things, recognizing that you're dealing with people and that there's a lot of soft skills, if you will, that, that you have to accommodate, that matters. We're going to take a quick break. We're here with Mark Warner, the Deputy Project Manager for DKIST. This Project Management Show podcast is brought to you by the Trident Group. We'll be back with Mark in just a second. There are good software development companies, and there are companies that are experts in project management. But finding a company that excels in both is difficult. That is until you meet the Trident Group. The Trident Group develops, deploys, operates, and sustains leading-edge project management software applications and data management systems for government agencies and industry leaders. As experts in Microsoft SharePoint technologies, they have delivered dozens of custom solutions from desktop to mobile devices that have satisfied the needs of project management professionals challenged with distilling the mountains of data into usable information to make informed business decisions and make those decisions faster. If you're looking for a development team that understands the project management data they're working with, then visit tgi-us.com to learn more about the Trident Group and their solutions. And we're back on the Project Management Show with Mark Warner, Deputy Project Manager for the $350 million DKIST project. What DKIST, what does that stand for again? DKIS stands for the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope. Daniel K. Inouye was is the late senator from Hawaii, mm. and that's where we're building this. He was instrumental in getting the funding for this project, and the telescope is named after him. All right, let's talk tools. Uh, talk about some of the key tools or resources that you're using every day. Okay, well, um, the, the main tool that jumps to my mind, and, and a lot of my friends and colleagues are sick of me saying it, but... I am uh, an Evernote fanatic. In fact, I, I call myself an Evernote evangelist. <laughs> um, Evernote is a kind of a catch-all program for collecting and storing information. Um, a few years ago, uh, when Dropbox really gained steam, I was just blown away by Dropbox and, and these sort of online web servers where, oh, you mean I can have a file here at work and then go home and have that same file? It just it was fantastic. And then uh, a program, somebody introduced me to a program called OneNote, which was a used in conjunction with Dropbox. I could um, not only have access to files, but have them sort of already um, collated and, and put in a binder structure, if you will, all of my notes and so on. Well, then last year, a year and a half or so ago, I discovered Evernote, and it's sort of OneNote on steroids. And it has really changed how I do do my um, everything, my personal life, my work life, and everything in between. It's it's really a, a a major thing, and I could talk for this on for hours if you let me. It's <laughs> like I say, I'm a I'm a little bit fanatical about it. It's it has truly changed how I do do my job. Maybe we'll do that one later down the road. Sounds great. <laughs> All right, any inspirational quotes you can throw our way that maybe somebody can latch onto and use? <laughs> okay. Um, well, it, it's funny you say that. I actually collect notes in Evernote. <laughs> it's, I, I'm one of these uh, quote collectors. It's, I hear something interesting, I write it down, and often ponder it. Um, but the one that, that kind of jumps out at me when I'm thinking about project management is that um, it's related to that old, that old saw of um, failing to plan is planning to fail. It's related to that. It's, it's actually a quote by Abraham Lincoln, and he said, 
if he had six hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend the first four hours sharpening his axe. And it, this, this is one of those aha moments for me when I first heard that. I was at a symposium, um, somebody put that slide up, and it really made me think about planning projects and spending the upfront time putting together what it is we're trying to achieve. How are we trying to get there? What are the risks that we're going to encounter on the way? How are we going to mitigate those risks? Spending all that time up front thinking these things through. We all know that, that a plan uh, doesn't really survive its first contact with the enemy, right? I mean, your battle plan is going to change instantly, which is fine. We understand that. But spending the time up front to, to think through these things is going to help you adapt tremendously when those problems occur. So I, I really like that quote by Abraham Lincoln. It just, it just really, in, in a nutshell, captures what project management is about. A lot of planning and then implementation. Mm -hmm. uh, any uh, organizations or certain initiatives you'd like to mention? Um, well, this this show is is great. Um, I've started listening to it. And I, I, this is a great one. Um, it's probably worth mentioning my blog. I, I write a blog. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty active writer. I've written, published a number of books on a number of different topics. I, I keep a couple of different blogs going, but I do have a blog called um, Project Management for Engineers. And um, that is the web address, projectmanagementforengineers.com. And it's, it doesn't make me any money. I don't do ads or anything like that on it. Um, but the, I would love people to, to read it and to give me feedback because it's a place that I'm writing down stuff that, that I know, that I've learned, and am learning. And feedback is huge, huge for me on those blogs. So. Uh, that that's probably the main thing I would like to uh, to promote here. And you'll also be uh, featured on Project Management Show uh, as well, doing a little blogging. Exactly. Um, the plan is um, to perhaps cross-post some of my my blog posts mm -hmm. from Project Management for Engineers on this on uh, Project Management Show and vice versa, as well as doing original content on um, on both sites. So. Cool. How can people get a hold of you if they'd like to chit chat, maybe? Easiest way is actually to um, just send me an email at mark at projectmanagementforengineers.com. Um, that'll get to me right away, and I'm, uh, I answer my email usually within a few hours. So Cool. Well, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for all the great information. That's been a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed this. Mark Warner, Deputy Project Manager for DKIST, $350 million project. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Today's project management show brought to you by the Trident Group. Make sure to check out other podcasts at projectmanagementshow.com. My name is Scotty Bud Melvin. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Project Management Show. Here's hoping that your projects are always on schedule and within budget. Catch us next time right here for another project management show.